This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Good afternoon. I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus chat. Coronavirus and AMD, your questions answered. While we just did a chat two weeks ago, we've scheduled this special edition today because of the coronavirus pandemic. This is your first time on a Bright Focus chat. Welcome. Let me tell you about Bright Focus and what we'll do today. Bright Focus Foundation funds some of the top researchers in the world. We support scientists who are trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. We share the latest news from these scientists with families that are impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials at our website, brightfocus.org, that offer tips on how to live with diseases such as macular degeneration. Bright Focus chats are one, are one way of sharing this information. And now, let me introduce today's guest. We're very fortunate to have Dr. Michael Gorin from UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, with us today. Dr. Gorin is one of the leading experts in the country on age-related vision disease, particularly macular degeneration. So, Dr. Gorin, I'd just like to thank you for, for joining us today. I was wondering if you could just start off and tell us a little bit about what you do at UCLA. So, I'm a uh, professor in the Division of Retinal Disorders and Ophthalmic Genetics in the Department of Ophthalmology at UCLA and the Jules Stein Eye Institute. Uh, I'm a clinician scientist and have had a research laboratory for more than 30 years as well as see patients. Um, with respect to Bright Focus, I am a former recipient of a Bright Focus grant for my research, which was very key in the initial discoveries of the molecular genetics of age-related macular degeneration. And I currently remain active with the Bright Focus Foundation as the co-chair of the Scientific Advisory Committee for the Macular Degeneration Research Grant Program, which continues to fund leading scientists both in the United States and around the world to better understand the causes and also potential treatments for age-related macular degeneration. Well, great. How did you, just kind of the career day question, how did you end up uh, in healthcare and science? Well, I am the product of an ophthalmologist. Uh, my father was an ophthalmologist and ear, nose, and throat specialist. And always I was intrigued with medicine in the eye. I probably made the conscious decision to become a physician in about fifth grade and um, pursued studies uh, in college and eventually went on and got my PhD in biochemistry and uh, my medical degree, both at the University of Pennsylvania, and then went on and did a fellowship in hereditary retinal disorders and medical retina at Moorfields Eye Hospital, which is the preeminent uh, eye hospital in England and in Europe. Um, I was then at the National Eye Institute after that for several years before going to the University of Pittsburgh and continued there doing both genetics and ophthalmology until I came to UCLA. Right. So kind of, you know, big picture of the question, I think on, it's on every listener's mind today. Uh, and, you know, we'll get into this in more detail over the next half hour or so, but big picture, how does uh, the coronavirus impact vision health, particularly AMD? Well, in, okay, so in general, the COVID um, disease or the, due to the uh, SARS coronavirus too, um, doesn't do very much to the eye. It is known that some patients have presented, very few, but a few have presented with con conjunctivitis or a uh, a surface inflammation of the eye, not inside the eye, not affecting the retina. Um, there have been no reports of age-related macular degeneration being worsened or triggered by the coronavirus. 
However, uh, in preparation for this chat today, I did do some research about what are the processes that occur when a person gets a coronavirus infection and what does it do to their body? And there's no question that there's a tremendous activation of the immune system. And in fact, much of the illness that a person experiences is by is not from the infection itself, it's the body trying to attack the virus. Those processes that the virus activates, the inflammatory pathways, are related to macular degeneration in some sense. And so it is possible that there may be some relationship, either possibly some worsening or increasing the frequency severity of the disease, but we have no data for that at this time. No one has done any studies. We're too much caught up in the emergency of just trying to deal with saving people's lives and getting them to recover. But um, there is reason to believe that we, we might find something later on in terms of either people who have macular degeneration may be more prone to severe complications from coronavirus. I would certainly caution my AMD patients to be especially careful. Uh, and it may have some impact, but we don't we haven't seen that clearly yet. Well, great, thank you. A number of questions that have, that have already come in kind of center around the core question of what should I do now in the sense of how do people wondering how do you balance the risk of vision loss versus the risk of of um, of COVID? Like, so big picture, should people keep their appointments uh, for treatments and and checkups, or should people uh, spread those out or skip them altogether? It's a very individual thing. It turns out that. You know, the American Academy of Ophthalmology has recommended that all ophthalmologists see only urgent and emergent uh, cases. Personally, um, at the UCLA, we are keeping all of our clinics going, and we have um, pushed those patients who are being seen every six months or a year to longer-term follow-ups. However, for all of my patients, certainly, who are being treated for age-related macular degeneration, Anybody who's being seen at an interval of either every four months or more frequently, we are still seeing them because that frequency of visit, you know, three to four times a year is done for individuals who have fairly active disease or are under active treatment. You know, many patients receive injections monthly. And for those patients, the decision to defer an injection or not, or to defer an evaluation to see if they need an injection is really dependent on a lot of factors. And I've actually encouraged my patients to contact us and speak with me personally through telephone or video conferences to decide whether or not it's important enough for them to come in. Um, most of my patients receiving regular injections, they really do need to come because the, the chance of having deterioration of vision that will not be reversible by delayed injection is a real concern. What what factors enter into that? I hope you'll give me just a few moments to sure. talk about oh, yeah. that because it, it varies with every person. So first of all, it depends how frequently you've been getting injections. A person who's been receiving injections every month, presumably their doctor has decided that their disease is active enough that it requires the maximal frequency of being treated. And I'm pretty sure that those people still need to be seen. People who have, are on a treat and extend approach where it's for longer intervals, they may be able to extend those intervals by some amount, but if it's less than three months or even less than four months, they probably can't extend it very far. 
uh, without running the risk of having recurrent activity. And we know that when you treat people when they have already leakage and bleeding from the uh, wet form of macular degeneration, that leads to a downward decline in their vision. Now, other factors that come into this are, what is the vision in your other eye? If your doctor is treating an eye that's, let's say, 2060, 2080, and your other eye is 2020, and it depends a little bit on other parameters because some people have 2020 vision that's still pretty compromised by geographic atrophy. But if, if one eye is much better than the other and you're treating the poor seeing eye, you might be willing to kind of go a little bit longer, uh, realizing that there is some risk, but the downside is fairly small. On the other hand, if this is your better eye or your only eye with which you have good sight, then waiting becomes more of a concern. You really want to prevent any further deterioration and you should be going in for your visit. So as you can see, there's multiple factors. There's the vision of the eye that's being treated, the frequency you've been treated at this point. What is the status of the other eye? Are both eyes being treated? And by the way, I would say those of you who are having both eyes treated but not on the same visit may wish to consult with the doctor about combining the treatment for both eyes at the same visit. Uh, that would limit your exposure of going in repeatedly and also having someone taking you in. So that's an option that one should explore with their physician. In my practice, I routinely will treat both eyes. Um, we have a protocol in place to minimize any potential contamination between the two eyes while doing this. So we feel that it's very safe, um, but there are doctors who really only insist on treating one eye per visit, and that may be something they want to reconsider. Hmm. Um, so it, this is a very individual thing. Um, and of course, obviously how difficult it is for you to get in may be a factor as well. Sure. No, that's great. We will, um, I appreciate that and it definitely, um, a number of points there that we'll be we'll be talking about over the over the coming minutes. And so, Dr. Gorin, one question that we've received is uh, from several people: is they know you hear over and over again, "Don't touch," "Try not to touch your face," "Try not to touch your eyes." Well, I guess kind of a two-part question: like, can you get co the 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 infection through your eye? And also, what about people who need eye, need to use eye drops or, or contact lenses? So, is I guess big picture: is the eye a, an entry point for for the virus that we should be concerned about? There is one, there is a report of one ophthalmologist who is alleging that he contracted uh, the COVID infection from a patient uh, who had a conjunctivitis. Um, we don't know of any cases of COVID, so I guess it is theoretically possible. Um, the best thing to do is obviously, if, when it comes time to put in your drops, is um, wash your hands thoroughly before you do it yourself. Uh, ideally, it would be nice if you could wipe down the outside of the bottle just briefly with uh, disinfectant because they may have been handled by you or someone else in the house uh, previously. And um, make sure that they're dry though because you don't want any of the disinfectant dripping uh, into your eye while you're administering the drops. Administer your drops and put them away and ideally, putting them in a place where no one's going to touch them again until you need to use them again would be also helpful. We do want you to continue using your eye drops uh, if they've been prescribed, because in many cases, patients 
who have macular degeneration also have elevated pressure in the eye that needs to be treated with medication, and they may be taking it for other reasons as well. So we don't want you to stop your eye drops, um, whether you have macular degeneration or not. Great, appreciate that. And so, you uh, know, appreciate your 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 kind of main point about individual. You know, talk to your individual. Um, uh, eye care professional to figure out the best course of action. So for people that uh, can go longer um, without um, without visits, how do they? How should they best uh, take care of their vision at home? Are there are there ways to monitor the their vision or or sort of lifestyle diet tips that will that can help people during some extended periods between uh, between appointments? Okay, so let's talk about screening um, in terms of. What can you do at home to check what's going on in your eye? Um, there are some apps on uh, iPhone and, and uh, other um, smartphones. Um, they're not great. You can get a download an, an Amsler grid. Many of you know what that is. That's a piece of paper that has lines uh, with a dot in the center and you use one eye at a time to look for distortion. There is a, a an app that I tried out uh, just the other day because I've been struggling with this for my own patients, uh, which uses a, what's called a hyperacuity test. But I found it, it was actually very clever, but the problem was it didn't tell you as the patient what's really going on. It's supposed to send the data to the doctor and over time the doctor sees if there's a change. And that's really very challenging for, first of all, doctors to set that up for all of their patients. Um, there is a device which you, I don't think you'll be able to get in the short term, but we probably should be using more called uh, 4C, F-O-R-E-S-E-E, -E, which uses um, a, a hyperacuity um, measurement technique. It's a device that sits on a countertop and you it actually runs you through a test uh, to see if there's changes in your vision. But for most of us, I would say, here's the best advice I can give you. Um, you want to, have a, a situation where you are pretty routine, where like where you watch, you're sitting, where you watch TV or some other thing, cover one eye and look at something that you know is familiar to you, like the TV screen and the uh, banner, the Chiron that goes along the bottom and see, has that changed? Are, are you able to see it uh, more easily, more difficulty than before? Or do you see new distortions on the TV that were not present before? You have to check each eye separately. Unfortunately, for some patients, it's not as good as what we can do in the office with the imaging technologies that we have. I mean, quite honestly, my goal when I see patients is to identify either worsening or recurrent mac wet macular degeneration before the patient does so that we can treat them before it has a negative impact on their vision. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're screening for a vision change, you're not as sensitive as that technology. But that may be the best you can do. I would say, again, if you've been treated frequently and this is your better seeing eye, um, I would tend to encourage you to go for regular visits rather than just relying on screening. But um, you can at least, in other circumstances, monitor your vision to some extent uh, by how well you can read small print. But you want something that's standard each time so you, you can tell if there's a change. That's interesting. No, I appreciate appreciate that. And we've talked to our listeners. We've talked about the Emsler grid, um, uh, 
in the 4C a few, a few times in the past, and uh, Bright Focus has Amsler grids that we can we can mail out to you. And the 4C device, uh, am I correct, um, Dr. Gorin, is is something that that um, Medicare and other insurance may may cover. Medicare does cover it. Um, it usually requires that the doctor be a participating physician so that they're getting the reports from the machine for the patient. There's only not as many doctors have adopted it. I think if we had anticipated this um, situation in the earlier, it might have been a good option for some of our patients because um, it is more sensitive than the answer grid at picking up changes. Good to know. And so, for people that are monitoring at home, if you know if, if they have, con um, what happens if there is an emergency? Um, do most practices shut down, and they would have to go to an emergency room, which people would understandably have concerns about? Or sort of, what, what happens if somebody has a uh, an emergency uh, related to macular degeneration over the next coming next couple months? Well, I, you know, I'm sure it varies in different places of the country. As I said, at UCLA, our department is open for business. We are still seeing patients. Uh, we even see new patients. Um, I do have a, I have patients who come quite a far distance, and a few of them have said it's too hard for them to travel under these current uh, shelter-in restrictions, and I've been arranging for other doctor's offices to take over for me who live closer, uh, who are closer to the, where the patient lives. Um, I, going to an emergency room is not ideal because they're not really set up to do the ocular imaging that is so helpful to guide what we do, nor do they have the drug necessarily readily available. Either, what, whichever anti-VEGF medication your doctor is using, as you know, we have four of them now. Um, so it, it's best to call your retina specialist and ask them, are, do they have hours and where they're sending patients if they are not seeing them? But it's preferable to do that. Now, one question that comes up is, well, what happens if I have symptoms of coronavirus? What if I have a cough and a fever and I see a change in my vision? Or I'm supposed to go for a regular visit and I have those symptoms, what do I do? Okay, but those individuals who either are suspicious that they have the coronavirus infection or know that they have it or have symptoms that are of concern, first, they should call the office before coming in. First and foremost, they need to know. They may defer you for a week or two to see that you're getting better. Um, again, in some places, for example, at UCLA, we're setting up a clinic in the hospital specifically for those patients so that they can be seen um, separate from the rest of our clinics so that they're not exposing the rest of our population. Um, that's one reason why coming to our clinics are relatively safe. We pre-screen all patients before they come in, and we ask patients to take suitable precaution. Um, so, it, but for those people who have symptoms, they may very likely have to defer getting their injection, and it may be unavoidable. Mm. On the other hand, if you're well and you're due for an injection, how fearful should you be about going to your eye doctor's office? And the answer is, if you... If, if the office is, is, has implemented a good screening program, is keeping patients far away from each other, is limiting contact, I think it's really very safe. Um, and you can um, have reasonable confidence that they're going in. We clean the, the room and equipment after every patient that is seen. 
our waiting rooms have been emptied out of the non-urgent patients so that the people are not wait, waiting in the rooms next to each other. We try to room them as quickly as we can. We get the tests done and the pre-treatments done much faster than we usually do. I, I know many patients complain about how long they spend in an eye doctor's office, uh, and that's partly because we do so much when we see a patient. Um, but because we've reduced our volumes, we've many of us have been able to streamline that process and keep the visit times fairly short. Well, that's great. That's a lot of reassuring uh, details for our listeners. And Dr. Gorn, or, earlier you mentioned telemedicine, and I think for 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 many Americans, um, that's not something they have a lot of experience with. I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about how telemedicine works? How does the patient participate? Is this something from a cybersecurity and HIPAA standpoint is 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 safe? But just do you know, could just tell us a little bit about what it is and how it works. So telemedicine uh, generally involves using both video and audio to communicate with the patient and to be able to transmit both physical findings that the patient has as well as engage in a dialogue with the physician. The challenge in ophthalmology is that we obviously need, often we rely very heavily on high-tech imaging technologies to look at the retina uh, for macular degeneration to make decisions about treatment and the like, and we can't do that by telemedicine. Um, I've actually used telemedicine for a couple of years because I use it routinely for my patients who have genetic eye problems and we're doing counseling. But um, now more and more people are doing it. But for example, in discussing whether you're having new symptoms or whether you should come in for the injection, a telemedicine visit may give you the opportunity to have a dialogue with your physician in order to know, is this a situation which really warrants you to take the risk to come on in? or can you safely defer? Um, now, there are patients where who will tell you, well, my vision is so poor, I really can't see much benefit of my seeing the doctor's face. Uh, I agree, they have uh, loosened the regulations about doing phone consultations. So doctors now who previously would not do phone consultations because they were not being reimbursed by insurance and by Medicare uh, have gotten a, a clearance to do that. And so some, but perhaps not all doctors, will offer you that service um, to a greater extent than in the past. I mean, presumably you're always able to talk to your doctor, but I don't think many people realize that that's a, a, a time and effort that is not generally paid for by um, Medicare or insurance. But that has changed under this current epidemic. Yeah. Does somebody need to have an app or anything on their phone or or computer in order to do telemedicine the, the, from a patient? At yeah. UCLA, at UCLA, you do. Um, you have to be subscribed to the My UCLA Health. You have to have gone through a consent process, and you have to basically use either a computer with a camera or a smartphone um, in order to do this. Um, there are instructions that are provided prior to the appointment by our staff, um, and I'm sure that there are other centers do this as well. Now, do all doctor's offices offer this? I don't know. It's actually easy enough for people to set up by other conferencing measures, such as Zoom. Uh, actually, UCLA uses a version of Zoom built into the electronic medical record system. But uh, um, that, again, different doctors uh, and different offices operate with different platforms, um, and you have to find out what they, they offer. 
you, you can't just assume that you'll make an appointment and it'll be one, two, three. You have yeah. to, that's one of the challenges. It requires a little bit more tech savvy than many of our older patients are used to. Yeah. No, you're, these are one of many, many challenges people are facing, but I appreciate you kind of walking through how that works. And yeah, just turning to the topic of just vision health in general, um, we've all tried to get the message out uh, that, that that Americans should have a very uh, regular, perhaps annual, comprehensive eye exam. Now, what happens to this advice now? Like, if somebody is not seeing any, you know, uh, front burner uh, problems with their eyes, but yet they know they're supposed to to get to get a very regular eye exam or time to get a new prescription for glasses or contacts, what does someone like that do in this current climate? Those are the patients that we are encouraging to defer coming at this time, um, partly to reduce the volume of load in our clinics and lessen their exposure, as well as ours, quite frankly. Um, doctor and healthcare professionals are among the highest risk group for getting coronavirus now. And we worry about the more people that we're in contact with, not only as our chances go up, but we have the chance that if we get infected, we would pass it to others. So we take a lot of steps. So I would say to somebody, if it's not urgent, you have no history of uncontrolled glaucoma, you have no history of macular degeneration, if you're doing it just for routine eye care, or that you have mild cataracts and you're, you, you haven't gotten, it hasn't affected your vision enough that you need surgery, this is a time to wait. Um, and I would tell you just call the office and make an appointment for several months from now till we get past this really terrible time. Yeah, very understandable. We have a uh, uh, a question. We're saying, you know, now that we're all spending so much time at home, um, how do we manage our, our eye health well when we're, we're all at home so much? So whether that's watching the TV or screen time or a lot of snacking, how, you know, the lighting around the house, like what, what can we do uh, during the coming weeks and perhaps months that we're, that we're at home? Well, for age-related macular degeneration, this is a complex condition that's partly caused by a combination of genetics and lifestyle, diet, smoking exposure. So obviously we want people to continue to eat healthy, uh, those who are taking the ARIDS-2 supplements for macular degeneration, which is recommended for whether it is wet macular degeneration or dry, um, we would encourage you to continue taking those. Uh, we want you to have a, a, a balanced diet. It's hard to exercise, but if you can find some way to do things either in your home or take short walks outside with social distancing away from people, that is healthy. All things to maintain your mental status. In terms of whether or not you should limit your time on um, visual devices or reading, uh, there is no evidence that macular degeneration is worsened by using your eyes. And the analogy I tell people, it's a little bit like having your TV on. Your eyes are on all the time. Now, whether you watch the TV or not is not going to affect how the TV is going to wear out. And similarly, using your eyes, will to read or to watch TV or to work on your phone or your computer is not going to wear out your eyes. It's not going to damage your retina. Um, so I would encourage you to just continue whatever activities help you maintain your mental health and use your vision as best you can. If you are limited in your vision, so you cannot use those diversions as well, I really strongly recommend that you 
find other means such as podcasts, listening to music, um, uh, talking on the phone with people to stay mentally engaged and to uh, and listen to the radio. I guess there's still radios out there. Um, to to stay connected with the world, to stay informed, um, and not just be sitting around doing nothing. Um, go ahead. Those are great. Those are great points. I think for for people of people of all ages. Um, we have a question from uh, your uh, your home state of California, and uh, she asks, "What happens to macular degeneration research uh, during this time?" Does the research on on AMD continue, or sort of what what's the impact on on science of the coronavirus, of vision science? There's been a huge impact on science throughout every disease, every field. I mean, huge resources are going into work on the coronavirus itself to understand why people have more severe disease, whether we can come up with treatments, better diagnoses, and things. But basically, almost all other clinical research for other diseases has been very much put on hold or delayed. Um, for example, uh, clinical trials have been uh, very much impacted because we're telling the patients not to come in for their uh, research visits. Uh, enrollment into new studies has been postponed um, because we, we can't bring people in. Uh, our research laboratories have gone have been shut down at the university, except for experiments that would be devastating if they were not finished in terms of cost or resources. Sometimes we're in the midst of doing studies where if we stop now, we'll, we'll lose everything that we've done for several years. Those, the university has, has evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis to decide what experiments can continue. And the rest of the activities of that laboratory are prohibited. So there's been a huge impact. I don't think on the long term it's going to be a disaster, but obviously for those who are urgently waiting for new treatments and things like this, this is going to have some impact in the short term. No, I appreciate that. I think it's a, it's a difficult, a difficult reality. So, Dr. Gorin, um, you know, before we conclude, I, do you have a, well, before you conclude? Well, I, one thing I'm, I'm looking at the questions that people have put in, and there's one that I do want to address. Oh, great, great. Okay, so. Uh, one person asked about uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which mm -hmm. is being talked about a great deal for coronavirus. And those who are taking it now, it's, it's a very commonly used medication for patients with autoimmune diseases. And um, they are, this individual is, is very much aware of the fact that Plaquenil, um, which is hydroxychloroquine, uh, can cause damage to the central part of the retina or the macula. And is that a serious issue uh, in this case? Um, we've never found evidence that patients with macular degeneration were necessarily worsened by taking hydroxychloroquine, but we actually try to avoid it because it's very hard to assess. The, the amount of treatment that they're offering and, and the duration of using hydroxychloroquine in the clinical trials that are going on is too short a period for most patients to really experience any retinal damage. The vast majority of people who have toxicity from that drug that affects their retina have been on the drug for a substantial period of time and on a sustained dose. And that's not the case for the clinical trials that are going on. So I just wanted to address that since that, oh, great. Yeah, that, that is a very specific uh, question to, to the current situation. 
That's great, and I appreciate it. you hear that. You hear the name of that medicine tossed around quite a bit in the media, and I think there's people, understandably, are concerned and and cautious. So I guess you know, kind of on that note, as we sort of wrap up today's discussion, is there you know, this is such a difficult time. Is there sort of one big picture uh, piece of advice that you'd like to to leave with um, with all of us and and your patients, uh, you know, to to not only help us uh, get through, but specifically to to take good care of our vision health during during this time. I think that um, it's really, particularly for those who have wet macular degeneration, who are receiving treatment, you understand hopefully that, e- that even that treatment is extremely effective, but not perfect for everyone. And it has risks. And we've all pretty much accepted that those risks are worthwhile for the potential benefits of saving vision. This coronavirus, um, situation obviously adds another layer of risk, which is forcing you to reconsider how frequently you should be treated and how urgently you need to come in. But it is simply another risk factor. And just like your doctor should be talking with you about wh- whether a, a injections and further treatment is of benefit for you and what are the risks, this is simply another component of that, and you should be able to engage in that dialogue. This is not an absolute stop or a reason for you to, to suspend treatment. It is very important that we do not lose ground in maintaining your sight um, going forward. Thank you. That is uh, great advice. And just to, to conclude, Dr. Gorn, I, I really appreciate you doing this today and volunteering your time at what has got to be an incredibly busy period for all of you at the at the UCLA Medical Center. So I think you've you really helped uh, all of us come away with you know a few more pieces of knowledge or a little little more little more peace of mind. So just just on behalf of Bright Focus, I really want to thank you for for uh, for being so generous with your time today. Well, I'm actually very grateful to Bright Focus for what it does in the area of research for MacuGen, but I'm also grateful for this opportunity to be able to reach out to people who I may never get to meet uh, and hopefully give them some good advice. Um, I did, by the way, notice that one individual mentioned that their doctor is not doing OCT scans and only giving injections uh, and asked what's my office. My office actually finds the OCT very, very useful and we can do it very non-invasively. So we actually, that's one reason we bring our patients in is to to be able to get the OCT scan so we can see whether injections are needed and when the next time they have to come. So um, I I hope that uh, their doctor will reconsider that policy, but um, we we find that is an invaluable tool for preventing vision loss. Great, thank you. And again, uh, Dr. Gordon, thank you so much. You've been been um, been very helpful, and and um, I think this will be very informative to to our audience during this difficult time. Thank you. All right, this concludes today's Bright Focus chat. We're next scheduled for April 29th, but uh, if events warrant it, we will. Uh, get back with with all of you uh, prior to April 29th. Thank you. This concludes today's Bright Focus chat. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.